Well, in last week's teaching, we briefly worked through portions of end times prophecy around the spirit of the Antichrist, around the mark of the beast, around the beasts themselves, and also the number 666. But I want you to be confident in interpreting this book. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to examine this book a little bit more closely because the message of confusion and the message of fear has been so widely spread for so long that I want us to be confident in what Scripture says when it comes to properly interpreting these types of messages. One of our core values at Word of Grace is that we are willing to give up what we believe for the truth because Scripture alone defines truth, not our ideas, not what's popular, not what you may have a speaker who has a large platform may say or someone who claims to be a prophet may say. No, Scripture alone defines truth. So if there's something God wants to show us, we want to verify, validate that from Scripture so we can understand it and more, more importantly, be confident in it. I don't want you to be confident in these things just because Pastor Derek says so, because Pastor Derek says so isn't going to get you very far, all right? I do my best job to try to study, to show myself approved, to try to be diligent, to rightly divide the word of truth, to bring you something that I believe is accurate, that is a healthy interpretation and a healthy view of Scripture. But guess what? I am also human. Um, ask my wife. I am very human, and I also have a propensity to fail and to get things wrong. So I don't want you to just run with Pastor Derek says. I want you to not be confident just in me. It's more important that you're confident in the Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through the Scripture, and we're actually going to talk about the mark. So if you're a note taker, you can write that title down. I want us to reason together today. I want us to be thinking. Let's really put our reasonable thinking caps on. I want to ask you to be reasonable. I want to ask you today to be teachable, and I want to ask you to allow the Word of God to speak louder than what you've heard, than what you may have previously thought, than maybe even what you have previously accepted. So before we can tackle something like this and engage, I believe we need to start off with prayer. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your truth. Lord, we know that we're humans who have a propensity to fail, to get it wrong, to run with our emotions, to run with ideas. We understand that about ourselves. So Lord, we ask that as we go through this time, that it will be clear to both me as the speaker and to every person who is listening that what is true, what is inspired by your spirit, and what is of the flesh. And let the things that are from you be the things that are sown on that good ground, that are remembered, that are meditated on, that confidence is built upon like the solid rock, and then the things that are not. Let those things be quickly forgotten or clearly understood that they are not from you so we can discern properly, so we can keep the Scripture, Lord, in context, treating it as holy, treating it as sacred, and treating it as your word to those who John wrote to in the book of Revelation, but Lord, also to us today. Help us to be discerning. Help us to exercise discernment and maturity. Help us to be reasonable in our approach with Scripture, understanding your heart, your purpose for this word, that Jesus Christ may be glorified above all else in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I want to kick this off with this statement. Jesus is the star of the end times, not Satan. I want you to think about that. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first thing out of the gates that is made known, that is explicitly clear, is that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the revelation of Satan, not the revelation of the mark of the beast, not the revelation of microchips and end times and barcodes and scanners and numbers and numerology and, and governments and powers. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But think with me for a second. Who really gets the attention in the book of Revelation in our times that we live in? Well, if we're honest, really we give a lot more attention to those other things I mentioned in the apocalypse, the wars, the, the, the diseases, the beasts, um, the man of perdition, and, and, and the, the Antichrist. Those people get a lot of attention. Now, who would have wanted to use the Holy Scripture of God and a prophetic word meant to point us to Jesus and to His gospel and to be a blessing to the church? Who would want to use that type of message to bend the focus towards themselves? Hmm, that sounds very demonic and satanic in nature, doesn't it? The enemy, I believe, has tactfully and strategically diverted the focus of so many believers away from the purpose of the book of Revelation and end times prophecy and made it all about evil and caused fear and pandered fear and, and, and anxiety in our world and in generations before and probably will still do so in generations to come. But I want us to, as Scripture says, be sober-minded to be diligent, to study the Scripture so that we are allowing our emotions to run away with us, our ideas to run away with us, and get our focus off of Jesus Christ. He is the star of the end times. He is the focus of the book of Revelation. That's why Revelation 1.1 says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Anchor yourself in that. As you go through and read apocalyptic and prophetic things that you see that may have a potential to cause fear or to get you distracted and get your eyes off of Jesus, bring yourself back when you begin to sway. Bring yourself back when someone posts something on social media. Bring yourself back when someone hands you a book or a pamphlet and says, oh no, read this. Bring yourself back when you may watch a video on YouTube or on television of some person who claims to be a prophet, and oh no, it's all making sense. Bring yourself back in those moments where anxiety begins to creep in. God has not given you the spirit of fear, and He is not going to turn the attention away from Jesus to Satan to glorify Satan. If it is pulling your attention away from Jesus as your hope, as your source, as your place of rest, as your place of confidence, it is demonically influenced and inspired and is just part of this system of Babylon that is driven by the spirit of Antichrist. Even Satan loves to use Scripture to try to twist God's words, to try to get our eyes off of him. Remember this. Remember this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've given so much attention to the mark of the beast, and I believe we've given too much attention to the mark of the beast, and we've obsessed over it in church culture, especially in America, 
And I can remember many things obsessing over, and people will argue over and divide churches over the mark of the beast. Did you know that actually there is another mark mentioned in Scripture that's actually mentioned more than the mark of the beast? And I guarantee not many of you who are listening to this sermon or who are here in the room with me or who are watching online, I guarantee you not many of you have heard a sermon about this mark that's actually mentioned more. It is called the mark of the lamb. There is a mark of the lamb, but Satan has so distracted us by getting us to focus on the mark of the beast and wondering what it is that we haven't focused on the mark of the lamb. Here's the thing. I'm going to make this extremely simple. I'm going to oversimplify it, and then I'm going to go explain it, all right? So just bear with me. People are either marked for God and in alignment with the Lamb, or you are marked as one who is against God. It's that simple. That's the oversimplification. It was true back then. It's always been true since the beginning of time. It's true now, and it will forever be true till Jesus comes and takes those who are marked with Him to be with Him forever when He comes back for His bride, the church. Now, the mark that John writes about is a symbolic mark. It is not a, a tattoo, it's not a microchip or a COVID vaccine or something you can get accidentally. I'm not speaking for or against any of those things. I'm not advocating that you go out and you get all the vaccinations because Pastor Derek said it's fine. That, that's, your, that's your choice. Uh, I, I'm not advocating, oh no, you, everyone go out and get microchip. Pastor Derek is not saying that, but I I'm also saying that the things that we obviously think are these marks we get distracted by. And just like the Jews miss Jesus because he didn't come the way they thought he should come, you and I will get our minds made up that this is what this mark actually is and what it means, and we're distracted from what the actual mark actually is, just as the Jews were distracted from the Messiah when he actually showed up because they were so fixated on this is how it has to be. Who is the distractor? Who is the one that would distract us and distort us, uh, uh, distort the truth? It's the enemy. The enemy is the one. He's distracting. He's distorting. He's taking something and getting your eyes off of the real thing so you'll miss the real thing when it actually comes. And, and let me tell you, it, it is here. It's always been here. It's going to continue to be here, and it's not something for you to be afraid of. So let's read the scripture together, and let's reason together. In Revelation chapter 13, which is where we were last week as well, let's go back there, and let's revisit Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 16, and we're going to read through chapter 14, verse 1, okay? Revelation 13 and verse 16 says, also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Revelation 14, 1. Then I stood, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Here you see the contrast of two different marks. One, there was a name 
that was written on the foreheads. The other, there was a mark on the hand and on the forehead. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to help you see the purpose of these marks. One mark protects man from the wrath of man. The other mark protects man from the wrath of God. One mark protects man from the wrath of man. The other mark protects man from the wrath of God. The earliest account of God marking someone, and this is all throughout Scripture, you can find so many people being marked on the forehead for God. The very first person was in Genesis chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. Let's go over there and just look at that real quick. Genesis 14, and let's look at verse 13 through 15. Genesis, Genesis 4. Here we go. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, the first two people on the planet, had just killed his brother Abel. He had committed the very first murder on the planet of our species, and now God is dealing with him. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me is going to kill me. Verse 15, then the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So Cain was marked. He was marked in this moment by God. For what? For protection. When you see this word mark used throughout Scripture, it is for protection, it is for provision, and it is for allegiance. And there are several times in Scripture where it refers to a marking on the head or a marking on the hand. A Jewish person would have understood the mark of the hand to represent the work of your hand. I am marked with what I do. What I do is in allegiance with whoever has marked me. I am marked because whatever I put my hand to is going to be for that person, that deity, that system, whatever, whoever it was that marked their hand, it was for what I do, my works. I'm marked. My, my hand is marked, and it represents what I do with my hands. When I'm marked in the head, you have to understand uh, early Jewish thinking. You and I, when we talk about the heart and when we mention God knows my heart or we say, you know, I've given my heart to the Lord, we're thinking of something uh, like in our chest. We're thinking of something that, uh, that, that, that we feel, right? That's not how a Jewish person would have interpreted or understood heart. That's still not even to this day how they use that word. What they mean is something very, very uh, internal, that is a deeper sense of thought. I'm aligning my thoughts because my, they believe that that is that place, that place that's that source. I'm aligning those things and all of my being, which starts with my thought life, I'm aligning that with this system, with this deity. So if I'm marked on the head, I'm aligning my heart, essentially. 
I'm aligning the way I think, the way I rationale, the, 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 the things that I uh, am able to discern. All of that, they believed, happened up here. We think more here. That's not how they thought. They actually looked at anything internal that was in our body below our neckline. They would consider that entrails. And, and so if you ever hear them talking about that part of the body in the, in the torso region, they're thinking about entrails. They're not thinking about my feelings or my emotions or my dedication or my loyalty. That came from up here. So it's a very different concept from what you and I as Western thinkers have from those who are Middle Eastern Jewish thinkers. And that's who penned this scripture. So that would have been their understanding of heart. So as they're thinking that, I'm aligning my conscience. I'm aligning my thinking. I'm aligning my head and my hand to that. I've been marked. And so protection provision, allegiance. This is where my source is. This is where all of this stuff really happens, which is why also you see in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul be an advocate for the renewal of the mind. He's talking about something shifting, something changing. He's talking about a, a sanctification process. He's talking about washing with the water of the Word. The, these things would have been understood by that culture a little differently than you and I. So let's let the Bible interpret the Bible, not our modern day perspective that we put our modern day lenses on the scripture. Let's go and run through quite a few scriptures. And if you're a note taker, you may want to write these down. They should also be available online for you on version as well to be able to reference. Let's reason together by looking at various scriptures concerning the hand and the forehead and Mark's throughout the scripture. We just read Genesis 4, 13 and 15, the very first mark that we saw where God marked someone. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It is in reference to your hand being, ex being an extension of who you are. What by what I do, that's part of what identifies me, right? We'll identify a contractor uh, or, or a plumber or a police officer or a firefighter or a, a military serviceman or woman or a pastor. We'll identify them by what they do with their hands. That would be a reference to what they do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It's not talking about picking up a stone or it's not talking about driving a car, although you use your physical hands. It's using hands as a symbol of an extension of your identity by what you do. And so he's talking about what you do with your whole person, what you do, do it with all your might, but he uses hand as a way to explain as a symbol. All right, make sense? So then we see also in Isaiah 59, 6 and 7, the act of violence is in their hands. They are doing violence. It may happen actually with their hands, but it may, it's their whole person doing it. So it's the same idea. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, it says in Isaiah 59 and verse 7. So this is an identification of their thinking, their hands, and these things that they are doing that are evil. Now, speaking of the Word of God being in front of us, Deuteronomy, 8, uh, Deuteronomy 11 and 18 says this, Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, the Jews have taken that text, and they have created something that they call phylacteries, where they will actually take portions of the law and strap it to their hands. And have you ever seen a Jewish rabbi with a box 
on his head. That box has scripture in it, and it's strapped to his head because they took that literal. They said, oh, I'm supposed to keep it as frontless between my eyes and strap it to my hand. And so they walk around strapping themselves down with scripture because they think that just having the scripture attached to their body makes them holy, and that's what God means. And so that's one interpretation where they're saying, I just have to keep it in front of me. As we see what God is actually saying is that he's trying to say, keep this scripture in what you do in your identity and how you think. Keep this marked in you, just as he says many other times throughout scripture, to keep the word before us. Keep it as a memorial between your eyes. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your eyes. Um, Ezekiel 9 and 4 says, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all abominations. It's talking about a group of people who are sighing and moaning over all these abominations. Mark those people, where? On their hand and on their foreheads. Let it be known they're aligned with the group that is not going to participate. Let it be known that they're aligned with a group that is moaning over this. They're, they're sighing over this. They're, they're weeping over these abominations. That's, that group should be obvious because they're marked on their hand with what they do and their foreheads with what they thought. Also, we mention Exodus chapter 13 and verse 9, where it says for, us to, for, for, the, for that group to be marked on their hand and in their forehead with the scripture with what God has done for them so that they will remember and be able to tell uh, their, uh, the generations to come. So I just want to ask this question. If we can see in scripture many times, and I did not exhaust the list, I just pulled out some to help you interpret scripture with scripture. If we can see clearly where the hands and the forehead have been marked for generations in alignment with God and in opposition of God, We saw where there were scriptures that talked about hands and foreheads being marked for evil. We saw scriptures where hands and foreheads were being marked for good. We see where hands and foreheads were being marked for protection, for provision. We see these things over and over again in the text. Why have we become so obsessed with the idea that the mark of the beast is going to be a literal tattoo, a vaccine, or a card, or a number, or a microchip? This is the question we should ask ourselves, because this message in Revelation 13 was relevant to the original audience, and it is relevant to us today. What would a first century Jewish Christian who were the original intended audience in those seven churches that this letter was first circulated to, what would they have thought about the mark on the hand and the forehead? What would they have thought? Just stop and think about that. What would they have thought about the mark on the hand and the forehead? Well, let us reason together. I would think that they would have referenced other scriptures that they had learned about marks on hands and foreheads, which we just read five or six of those. I think they would have had an understanding of marks on hands and foreheads and what those things would have meant. They would not have considered it something to be external. It could be something external. I mean, there could be times where someone may literally have a physical mark on them, but I think that they would have understood it to be more of a sign of allegiance and dedication and loyalty with what they do and what they identify with and where their heart is bent and how they think and how they live their lives. And they would have understood that a lot more clearly than you or I because they were trained and schooled in those Old Testament scriptures 
And they grew up with these things and would have heard about hands and foreheads and, and seen priests with hands and foreheads with the little boxes. They would have understood the, sim symbol, the symbolism of some of those items. And they would have seen when John writes about there's going to be a beast who comes and, and he's going to have a mark and the mark's going to be on a hand and a forehead. Um, they definitely would have thought, oh, well, I guess someone 2,000 years later is going to have to figure this one out because we're lost. I don't think they would have been lost at all. And as you look back, even on commentary of Scripture and early church fathers and historians, as I've done a ton of research on that, and I would invite you to do the same and look up some of those things, um, that is also how they interpreted it. It was very, very clear. It has only been in about the past 50, 60 years that we have come up with this idea of the mark of the beast being something to do with technology or something of that nature. Uh, and it's because those things are, they're, they're a little scary. I mean, come on, it's creepy that I can open my phone with my face. That's really creepy. That's like, you know, black helicopter, big, big brother, uh, you know, tinfoil hat stuff, you know. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's creepy that my face can open my phone. But if you try to open my phone with your face, it doesn't work. Um, it was creepy when the iPhone came out with the thumb open your phone. You can put your thumb on it and it opens. I mean, that's, that's nuts. But think about the advancement of technology. And, and I think that our fear runs wild with us. And we begin to associate our fears with other fears. And then we hear somebody say something and we just go, oh, well, that must be it. Oh, no. And now I'm afraid of everything. And that was not the purpose of this book. That wasn't the purpose of this prophecy. That wasn't the purpose of this mark. Remember, one mark protects man from the wrath of man. Well, the other mark protects man from the wrath of God. I want us to reason together so we don't miss the actual mark. The word mark used here in the Greek is also used in Acts 17, 29 as the English word image. It's the same word as image in Acts 17, 29. And it's the same Old Testament Hebrew word as the word sign. It is a marking. It's an identity. It's an image thing. That's what this word literally translates to. Those who bear the image or the sign are marked of the beast and aligned with him. These people have forsaken Christ and trust in the beast and his system and his ways for protection, for provision, for security, and for purpose and identity. It's not an accident. So many people are worried, oh no, I'm going to accidentally get the mark of the beast. No, you're not. You're not going to accidentally do it. If you forsake Christ, you will knowingly and willingly forsake him, saying, I don't want to trust you for my security, for my provision, for my identity. I want to trust in the beast and the system of Babylon because the military might, the economic stability, these things give me safety, security, the, the world leader, the king, the president, the dictator, the ruler, whoever... And you align with that system and that figure in order to seek those things instead of seeking those things from Christ. You're either aligned. Now, what about this whole I can't buy or sell? What about this if I don't have the mark, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to buy or sell? Think about this. Let's look at a modern day example, an extreme example of this Babylonian system. Some are more sneaky than others, but it's still just as much Babylon some are more obvious than others. So let's talk about an obvious example that we'll all be able to understand. North Korea in our day is a Babylon system that is dictated by the spirit of the Antichrist, and it's extremely obvious. 
Why? Because if you publicly acknowledge your faith in Christ, you get arrested or killed. If you look at opendoorsusa.org, and I would encourage you to go there, you can see the percentage of persecution for any country in the world. They keep up with this because Open Doors USA is the organization that smuggles Bibles to various organizations. It's a very wonderful work, and we're so grateful for what they're doing for the body of Christ, especially for the church that's suffering great persecution. If you look at opendoorsusa.org, you will see that in North Korea, there are about 300,000 estimated Christians, and these people are killed. These people are uh, abused, and they cannot find work. They cannot, if you acknowledge you're a Christian uh, and you had a job, guess what? You can't buy, you can't sell, you can't trade, you can't do business, you're done. Unless you take the mark, because they give you a choice. Are you going to align with the spirit of Antichrist that is manifested in an evil dictatorship under the leadership of Kim Jong-un? And if you align, you'll be protected from what? The wrath of man. You won't receive the wrath that Kim Jong-un and his cohorts, driven by that spirit of Antichrist, want to uh, flesh out on you. You won't receive that. All you have to do is align. All you have to do is forsake the mark of the lamb and take the mark of the beast. Now, they're not going to physically mark you, are they? But they're going to keep up with you, maybe in their database. Maybe they're going to make it known that you were a person who was once aligned, but now you're aligned, now you're safe, you're, you're marked safe. Whether you have a physical mark or something in someone's records, or just the community knows that you're, in, you're now in allegiance. And then what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to, you're going to, have to pay a little bit of penance, right? Um, they'll make you work for it, make you prove your loyalty. And so then you're going to have to participate in, in, in their parades and their worship. You, you see flags and pictures of the dictator hung all over the town, much like in the days under Saddam Hussein's rule, um, much like uh, in, in, in the days of, of Stalin, much like in the days of Hitler, much like in all the propaganda days of the Pharaoh of Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar, worship the golden image. When the music plays and Daniel opens his windows and says, I'm going to still keep worshiping God, he opens his windows openly. Ah, Daniel gets persecuted. He can't buy, he can't sell, he can't trade. He's done, why? Well, you know, what's happening? He's getting thrown in the lion's den. Yeah, so guess what? Those who align with Christ and don't align with that system, you may be in the cycle of Babylon, and there are people who are actively in that cycle of the Babylon system to this day they cannot buy or sell because they have aligned with the Lamb. That's very true. So as you look at that, that's kind of a modern-day example. If you acknowledge your faith in Christ, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get killed. You're, uh, or you're going to get fired. You're going to get ostracized. Even in some countries that maybe want to keep a good image, they're concerned about how they look in the world. Like China's very concerned how they look in the world. So, but yet they're a communist country. So they're, they're mowing down churches, though. They're tearing down churches. They're, 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 they're firing people from their jobs, ostracizing them from their families. Why? They're, they're not able to sell. They're not able to buy. They're, they're having to find different means. They're having to trust in the Lord for their provision. They're, they're being very much influenced and affected by the wrath of man. But guess what? Because they're marked with the lamb. They may be feeling the wrath of man, but Jesus said, don't fear what man can do unto you. Don't fear what man can do unto you. He can kill the body, but he has no say so over the soul. Instead, fear God. 
Be marked with God. Be marked by the mark of the Lamb. So guess what? You don't have to be afraid of the wrath of man. Because what's the worst thing he can do to you? Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. My provision, my hope, my trust, my security, my identity, my peace is in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. And so, yeah, I may face the wrath of man on this earth. And you and I, we live in a time of, of, of peace in our nation to where we're not facing the wrath of man as greatly as some of our brothers and sisters in other countries actively are suffering right now. And so we happen to be at this point in history. Doesn't mean we're special, just means this is where God sovereignly chose to place us. Why? That's the question we should be asking. For what purpose? Is it so we can just heap treasures upon ourselves, have fun, retire well, just enjoy life, just, you know, okay, sarah, sarah. Just, no, I, I think it's for a greater purpose to use this position we've been placed in in history because there have been other nations before that have been at times of peace and prosperity before us, and there will be nations who will come into times of peace and prosperity after the United States. It's what does the church do during those times? How do we respond if you and I find ourselves in that type of country? in that type of situation. What's our job? What's our role during that time? Well, I think we're kind of in this flux of enjoying. Well, we like Jesus, but we also like the provision and protection. And we're kind of in this flux. I, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I want to be marked with the lamb. And if persecution comes, if things get, get tough, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to take the mark. I'm not going to align my hand and my head. I want to be so aligned with the Lamb. The mark of the beast requires that you forsake Christ willingly in exchange for protection from the beast. The mark of the Lamb requires you forsake control and that you trust in the protection and faithfulness of God. That's what the mark of the Lamb requires. Actually, it requires I forsake control. The mark of the beast gives me a sense of control because I feel like my, everything in my world is right and is good, because I have submitted to the beast and his system, I have aligned with him, and I have given him control of my life, and I have willingly forsaken Christ. I'm not interested in what Christ brings or what he gives. No, I'm putting my hope and my trust and my security in the things of this world and what this Babylonian system can provide me, because I'm so short-sighted and only focused on what I can get in this lifetime and what I can accomplish in this lifetime. The person who has been marked with the Lamb has forsaken control, has said, not my will, Lord, but your will, and is living for the glory of God. Everything, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in my life. And we're living in light of eternity, and we're living by a different standard, and we're living with a different purpose because what we do with our hands and what we think and where our heart is aligned is with the Lamb, no matter the cost. Yeah, i, I got to forsake control. Maybe I do get affected by the wrath of man. Maybe I do feel that where I'm positioned at in my job, where I'm at in my family dynamic, where I may be living in the world, all that's going to be affected by the wrath of man. And we're going to experience that at different measures depending on where we find ourselves in the timeline of Babylon. But at the same time, I can rest even in the middle of trials. I can, I can sing in the jail cell like Paul and Barnabas because I know that my Savior lives and He's paid the price and I'm marked with the mark of the Lamb. If you are a first century, early first Christian reading that letter and getting that message, do you think you would be blessed by the reading of that message? 
I think so. Do you think you'll be blessed by keeping that message dear and near to your heart? I think so. I think so. Revelation says that uh, you, uh, that, that this system, this system, this Babylonian system, we see in the bowls, we see in the seven seals, we see in the trumpets, we see that this is a pattern. It has happened, it is happening, and it will happen again. Remember this. It is a system. There will be a final Babylon that will be the worst of the entire historical system. It's ramping up. There will be a worse Babylon, but it will be the final Babylon. There will be an Antichrist figure that will be worse than any other. That will be the final figure. There will be plenty of people willing to align with him, forsaking trusting in Christ and trusting in the beast for protection and provision and taking his mark, just like there has been, just like there is now, and just like there will be until Jesus Christ returns. But if you are aligned and marked with the Lamb, you have nothing to be anxious about because Jesus will return for his bride and this system will come to an end. You are not of this world. You are not obligated to this system. That's the difference now. You see, I'm not obligated to this system. Being marked by the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Lamb is our source of hope and our source of salvation. Let's read this one more time in Revelation 14. Let's read the first five verses. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they were blameless. The 144,000 is a military census. A military census of the 12 tribes of the Lion of Judah. 12,000 from each tribe. We also see this in Numbers chapter 1. It could mean various things, but the more important thing and the point is that it shows us that God has an army marked for Himself that is set apart. He has those of us who have been marked by the Lamb and our names written in the Lamb's book of life. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, the testimony of trusting in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God who was slain before the very foundations of the world, the Lamb of God who was spotless but yet became the sacrifice of love that opened the door for humanity to receive a spirit of adoption where we cry out, to God, Abba Father, who absorbed the wrath of God that was justly and rightly earned and deserved by us. The Lamb who protects, the Lamb who provides, the Lamb who in the days of Moses and the deliverance of the people of Israel put the blood of the spotless Lamb on the doorposts of their home so that their home was marked so that the tops of their homes were marked, 
so that the doorposts of their homes were marked. Are you getting this? They were marked with what? The blood of the Lamb. And that's how we overcome. The mark of the Lamb being marked by the blood. 144,000 marked by the Lamb. Aligned with Him. Trusting in Him. Aligning and being marked by the Lamb Jesus Christ does not mean that you will be exempt from the wrath of man. Remember this. Don't find yourself discouraged when the wrath of man comes knocking on your doorstep. Jesus let us know the wrath of man was coming. He said, the world's going to hate you. He said, they're going to hate you. There will be trials and tribulations, but don't be afraid. I've overcome. I've won. How, how, can, how can being affected by trials and tribulations and the wrath of man, how can it make me feel victorious? Because Jesus said these things would come and I'm not to be afraid because he's already sealed me with his Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. I am sealed with a promise. How do I receive this? How do I get this? The just shall live by faith. It's faith. Faith like the grain of mustard seed. Something so small that can change my eternity. Something so small that can change my, my eternal destiny. I, I may experience tribulation and trial. You know what Jesus said? That's going to happen. If you thought you were signing up for sunshine and roses every day of your life here on earth, you are sorely mistaken and you were sold a bag, a bag of goods. Being an overcomer, it means, yes, I've overcome that spirit of Antichrist, that spirit of the system of Babylon. I don't have to live subject to that. The option is there if I want to take the mark, if I want to trust in the system to provide, if I want to look to the Antichrist, the one who is like Christ, who promises me salvation and security and hope for my future. But it's a lie, and there's a price. But then I can take the yoke of Jesus, which is easy, his burden, which is light. I can be sealed. I can be marked by faith, by putting my hope and my trust in him. And maybe today is the day that your eyes are being opened. Maybe today is the day that the eyes of your understanding have been enlightened. Maybe today is the day that God and his great grace would have you hear a message where your heart would be stirred and you're feeling a tugging and a drawing. Friend, can I tell you that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to a place of repentance and it's not to shame you. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. You just thought that God was being kind so you could do whatever you wanted. No, God was being kind so you could repent. God was being kind so you could repent from putting your trust in the system and start putting your trust in the Lamb. God was being kind, not so you could go sow your wild oats and then come to Him when you wanted. No, God was being kind because He wanted you to repent and see the value of Christ as one who was walking through a field and stumbles upon a treasure and then out of His joy over the treasure goes and sells all that He has to buy the field. The one who's willing to give up his life as a willing sacrifice. Jesus says, no greater love has any man than this, that he be willing to lay down his life for his friends. 
I'm willing to lay down my life. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. He says, you've seen what I've done. I'm your master. You've rightly called me that, and no servant is above his master. He's trying to show us the way. He's trying to show us it's through humbling ourselves, not through exalting ourselves. No, no, no. It's through humbling ourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will exalt you. I'm, I'm humbling myself and trusting when I'm when I'm facing trials, when I'm facing tribulations. Sometimes God delivers me out of those things. And guess what? Sometimes He doesn't. But either way, my eternity is still delivered and sealed and free. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were faced before worshiping Nebuchadnezzar, when the trumpets would sound, just like Daniel was forced to worship, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. He said, well, we're going to throw you in a big fire pit. And those three Young Hebrew men said this, our God is fully able to deliver us out of your hand and from this fire, King Nebuchadnezzar, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We won't take the mark. We won't, we won't fear you more than we fear God. We won't fear your wrath more than we fear God's wrath. I want to be protected from the wrath of God, friend. I don't know about you. And the only way to do that is by trusting in the one who has already absorbed the wrath of God. Because there is a coming wrath of God because God will judge sin. God will judge sin. And if you're trusting in the beast, if you're marked with the beast, then you're trusting in that system and in a false Christ. Yeah, your life may go smooth in this world if you trust him because you can buy and sell and go about like normal business and, and it feels like you're, you're safe, like you're protected. And, and wow, the beast has provided and you marvel at how the beast has provided. But you're missing eternity. You're going to absorb the wrath of God because you've said, I don't, I don't want to trust in the Lamb. I want to trust in this because this is now. This is right here. This is present. This is active. This is like, right now, I feel this. This is tangible. Like, like I want this. And, and, and Jesus is trying to show you. Over here, be aligned with the Lamb. So where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your trust? Are your actions and your heart's intents and thoughts, your hands, your forehead, are you aligned with the Lamb? Or is your hope and your security and your provision being placed in that of the stock market? a world leader, a government system, your job, or any other source that requires your allegiance in exchange for acceptance and a sense of provision and protection. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For God so loved the world. That was his motive that he gave his only son. Whoever would trust in the lamb, believe in him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Call on the name of the Lord today and be saved. Scripture promises that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. Romans also says believing in, in, in your heart, aligning, and then confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. You're justified by faith. You can be made alive. You can be made new. And then what do you do? What do I do next? You rest and stop toiling and stop trying to be good enough for God because Jesus was. He's enough. 
There's all sorts of promises over here with the beast. There's all sorts of promises. And I believe it's what John's audience would have heard. And I believe that's what this means to us today. So don't be afraid. You're not going to accidentally get the mark of the beast. I want you to, on purpose, intentionally see value in the mark of the lamb and align with Jesus Christ. So Lord, we just come before you. And we know people are doing business with you right now. People may be in their living rooms. People may be listening at work. People may be on a walk and, and, and they may have headphones in and all of a sudden you have driven them to their knees to repent and to turn away from trusting in this system and begin trusting in the Lamb to be forever marked by the mark of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Holy One, the High Priest who is making intercession for us even now. The one who now, he was the firstborn among many brethren. Now we can be called sons and daughters of God. We haven't received a, a spirit of fear anymore. But we've received a spirit of adoption because I'm not a slave to fear. Now a child of God. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you can do. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for sealing us by your Holy Spirit forever. You are the treasure. We delight in you. And we pray today, as you are dealing with people's hearts, that there will be newfound delight like never before in Jesus Christ alone, the Lamb of God. In Jesus' mighty, precious name, we pray these things. Amen.